Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I'm your host this week, Hugh Crawford, one-third of the Kickers of Elves. Uh, thanks again for joining us as we look back on another episode of the Rules of Acquisition, a show that looks back on the greatest uh, Trek show of all time, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This episode is Battle Lines, which we recorded probably in early 2016, and it aired on April 25th, 2016. Uh, And as you could tell, it's got a pretty recognizable character actor on it this week that we were all pretty excited to be able to watch and talk about. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this week's episode, Battle Lines. Jonathan Banks. You know Jonathan Banks. Oh yeah. Ennis, Noel Ennis. But really just Jonathan Banks. Oh yeah. The Space Pope dies. Oops, spoilers. Oh yeah. It's time for Jonathan fucking Banks. Hello and welcome to the Rolls of Acquisition podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I have nothing to say about the quality of this show except that it's great. All right, with me as always is James Nolan. Hey guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. And let's see, today we're, we're over halfway through the first season. We're talking about what, episode 12? Yes. Well, we're well over halfway. Yep, episode 12. And it's yeah. called... It's called Battle Lines. Battle Lines, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, Battle Lines aired on April 25th, 1993. The IMDb description is as follows. After showing Bajoran's spiritual leader... Kaiopaka, the wormhole, she, Cisco, Bashir, and Kira crash land on a moon. Kaiopaka dies, and the three meet the unfriendly locals. Kaiopaka's dying is in the. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it happens in the first 15 minutes of the. Sh- first 10 minutes of the show. Sure, but yeah. Kaiopaka uh, is uh, the space pope, basically, for the Bajorans, right? <laughs> Kaiopaka. Ka- Ka- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kaiopaka. Yes. Is a, is a space pope, and she decides to go through the wormhole. She's never been off of uh, Bajor before, and uh, we know she's going to die pretty much. <laughs> because IMDb tells us. Well, because, because she <laughs> meets O'Brien and starts giving stuff away. Right. Yeah, she has like a hard on to go to space. <laughs> right. <'cause, laughs> so, yeah, this is a high rated uh, episode, huh? Yeah. No. This episode on IMDb, it is a 6.6 out of 10. It's a little low. The users actually liked this episode less than last week's episode, The Vortex, which it was uh, 7 out of 10 stars. Well, Vortex was fine. I liked it. But I I think this episode's the best we've had so far. I do too. I'm just going to come out and say it's better than Vortex. Yeah. But part of me is still hung up on the name. Vortex is, I'm still mad that the name doesn't mean anything. (sighs) And it's not even accurate to what it's talking about. But you don't listen to last week's episode, do Battle Lines actually is a very good title for this episode. Mm-hmm. The moon that the the crew lands on is full of it's a penal colony where two factions of prisoners battle each other to the death, only to be resurrected by 
What, what is it? Some sort of nanotechnology that resurrects them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's nanites or something. Yeah. It's like artificially constructed, programmed nanites. Right, yeah. This is like quintessential Trek, this episode. Yes. Yeah, this is like this is what I was thinking. If I had to put a cap on it, like whenever someone talks about those great, like the best 15 Star Trek Next Generation episodes, this is as good as those, I think. This is up there. I mean, I like this. I- okay, it's got one major flaw, which I'll get to later, and it's a major flaw in this episode. <laughs> we can all guess what it is. <laughs> but it also has Jonathan fucking Banks in it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So it's got Mike Armantrout in it in a huge role, and I love it. Yeah, you yeah. know what? Any any of my qualms were just diffused right there when you said Jonathan Banks. He's like, you're right. Yes. This got Jonathan Banks. This makes it better than everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it, Jonathan Banks sells the shit out of some shitty Star Trek type stuff. Completely makes you forget that you're watching just horseshit dialogue yes and yes. knocks it out of the park by being jonathan banks no i yeah jonathan banks is amazing cisco is amazing oh yeah for sure and alpaca <laughs> yeah kyle alpaca yeah who's a real actress she's been in five woody allen movies oh, yeah. she's like in his like little staple of people he puts in movies yeah but yes kyle alpaca you know she probably does a good job because i didn't notice her doing a bad job well she was standing next to uh, a <laughs> vortex of bad Oh, it's like all that Kira stuff. She looks pretty good in comparison to her. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, do you think everybody on Bajor sounds like they're from the Bronx? Because Kyle Packa <laughs> certainly does. It may be a thing. They have they have a very New York accent. <laughs> so, okay, let's get into it. Where do we start? Well, I think we they're on the moon and... Uh, we got to start before they get to the moon. They start... Kyle Packa has never left Bajor. Right. They show her... Oh, wait, even before that, is this really funny scene before that where somehow they've easily hacked into Gold Ducat's files on Deep Space Nine? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, this is good. Yeah, and on those files, and they're all kind of sniggering about it, the files are just, in general, pretty shitty towards Kira. By saying that she's relatively unimportant and kind of makes her sound like a gopher <laughs> for the real terrorist, Bajorian terrorist. <laughs> so all of this sort of hard war nature that you've seen in her, at least from Goldicott, and they don't say to Goldicott, but it says former prefect. So it's Goldicott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least from Goldicott's perspective that he looks at her like a girl. Yeah, oh, like a, that's like cute. A, like literally like a girl. Oh, you think you're a real revolutionary. No, that, that's cute. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> I was there. I fought real Bajoran terrorists. You're no real Bajor <laughs> Right. You were the coffee girl. You were a D girl for <laughs> Yeah. For- and all the crew is fucking laughing behind her back. Like, oh, she's going to be pissed when she sees this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I love that. Actually. And Cisco, Cisco awesomeness, just decides to like, I'm going to show it to her. I'm going to let her see it. And then when she acts like a little bitch about it. <laughs> I'm going to like put her in her place, which is exactly what like it all transpires in like 30 seconds. That's a testament to like tight TV writing. Right. He leaves. They say that the Kyle Puck is there. She comes out and says, I was a little gopher girl. And like, <laughs> and, and then makes this big like sort of thing. And then he's like, if you're done feeling underappreciated, do you want to go meet the Pope with me? Right. And so <laughs> right. and, and it totally like sort of cuts her feet out from under. Her. She loves the space Pope. Oh, she's. A- oh, yeah. She gets real emotive around the space pope yes she does <laughs> yeah <laughs> she she touches and and breaks through the edges of her ability to express uh realistic emotion right right they show alpaca the window where the wormhole is and mm-hmm. and they're like sorry nobody's coming through the wormhole and she's like could you take me through it and they're like okay fine 
We love you, Alpaca. Oh, well, that was, that was that great scene because all she had to do was look at, at Cisco. Yeah, she, she was like a demanding girlfriend to Cisco. Yeah, she, right. I named you Emissary. <laughs> it's, it's a shame no one's going through this wormhole. Yeah. Well, it was just a look that only somebody with power can like pull off. Yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? Power and intelligence. It was like how power speaks to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game recognized game. Yeah. Yes. That's what was going on. <laughs> And they did a really good job illustrating that. Yeah, yeah. And then she starts giving away her jewelry specifically to little O'Brien, <laughs> Molly O'Brien. Is that her name? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, geez, Alpaca, come on. You're recruiting O'Brien's kid into your cult now? Here, take this jewelry. <laughs> your kid's going to be mine later. I don't yes. know. Right. Maybe I'm being harsh. Apparently on Memory Alpha, there is an entire, you know, of those Deep Space Nine books that came afterwards. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole book about that earring or that hinges upon that earring. Oh, really? Yes. And the prophets. Jake Sisko goes and finds her on the point. Yeah. Anyway, so Jake Sisko goes and finds O'Brien's daughter. Uh, no. Or he goes back to the planet to find Calopaca. Okay. Well, all right. Well, let's save that because I want to talk. I want to talk about that later. Mm-hmm. We need to go in order. Yes. Okay. So. <laughs> so yeah. They. So they go. They go out there. She goes to the wormhole. She was like, Ah, oh, that's awesome. But there's nothing over here. He goes. Yeah, this is space. It's mostly just nothing. <laughs> right. Most space is mostly empty. Yeah. Um, He's kind of embarrassed about his job at that point. <laughs> right? She was like, really? This is why I named you Emissaries? So we can go see more black stuff? <laughs> like, anyway, so... But uh, she loves it. Yeah, she wants to go see something, and he's like, no, like, there's nothing to see. And then basically she, she pushes him until his ship gets shot down on a moon. <laughs> basically, And yeah. she dies. Right, yeah. That was all great. All all, all great good stuff yeah oh and then when she dies they find jonathan banks and he's like who the fuck are you i'm a bajoran oh kira has broken her yeah kira broke her shoulder and expressed more emotion than she was her talents (laughs) allowed right (laughs) who are you i'm a bajoran i don't know what that means lady fine great yes (laughs) right okay the way kira acts in the cave is both obnoxious and like super interesting to me (laughs) because the episode is about how kira responds to the cave right yeah yeah we had an odo episode last week this this is, this is essentially a Kira. ostensibly a Kira episode. Yeah. Though it's also, you know, what I like, it, it also finally would go back to shit that was from the first episode. We bring Kyle Paca back and yes. she doesn't call him the emissary once, which is actually a little bit curious. Yeah. Who wrote this episode? Does, does anybody know off the top of your, their head? Yeah, it's Evan something something. I don't know. I went and looked at We him. don't have any background on him or... You mentioned last episode, this is one the guy hadn't... Had never seen the pilot when he wrote yeah, this? Yeah, so he had not seen any of the episodes. None of the episodes has aired. So he was just working off the book. And I believe Hilary Botter, who wrote a lot of Voyager episodes, I think were at the outline story. And then this guy, Evan something, I should get his name. Anyway, he's dead now. Oh, that's sad. Evan Summers. Is it? Is that his name? Summers. S-O-M-E-R-S. Oh, is that his name? Yeah, Evan Summers. Okay. Oh, okay. So the writer's room said, here's the characters you're working with. Here's the outline. Go write a script. Yes. Yes. And then and then while he was writing it, the first episode came out. So. Got it. Yeah. But uh, the, the writer is, uh, he's not one of the usual people. He is also disabled. He's in a wheelchair. Okay. And he wrote a documentary about him. He's in a 
group of guys who mod motorcycles so that wheelchair bound people oh nice could use motorcycles oh that's cool like, like a motorcycle gang he made a documentary about it and oh nice yeah i'm trying to think of what else he did i don't think he did much else but anyway that's what i know about the right uh, well i mean this is a good episode don't get me wrong yeah 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 no he's he did a great job and the, the woman who wrote the story hillary botter also i believe was a key writer on batman the animated series and created batman beyond wow hey wow that's those are both pretty good. Yeah. So we're dealing with a better quality here. This is a, each, each episode's getting a little better. So, yeah. Yeah. So they find these Jonathan Banks is Ennis. Is that what the people, his people are the Ennis? Yeah. There's Ennis and there's Noel Ennis. Noel Ennis. Who are, I mean, I think you're supposed to read into it. It is Northern Ireland versus England, uh, Great Britain. Um, I didn't even think of that at all. Or Palestine versus, you know, you're supposed to think of these like long standing generational. I I thought Hatfield and McCoy's, that's where I went. Yeah, Hatfield and McCoy's. Because nobody knows what they're fighting over. They're just fighting to fight. And and it won't stop. Maybe it was a pig. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was water. Maybe it was land. But now we fight for vengeance. Yeah. Yes. And then... They get attacked by the Nolanas, and Jonathan Banks gets murdered. Half the people get murdered, and then the big reveal happens that these people can't die. And, in fact, Kai Opaka is alive again and resurrected. Right. So everybody just kind of stands up, and they can't die. And so this is a punishment that I'm going to suggest... That the home, their, whatever their home planet is, it seems like the Nolanus has the tattoos on their face, like the Rush fan guys from Move Along Home <laughs> right. had. Oh, right. so maybe that was their home planet, dudes. Oh, see, I I thought the whole thing was there's only people on the moon. I thought maybe their home original civilization had actually even died out and wasn't even around anymore. And they were the only ones left. No, I think that they were all put on the moon. But there's nothing to support that other than my own conjecture. I thought that whoever these assholes were, they weren't. They wouldn't stop killing each other. Right, right. So the whole planet just rounded everybody up, dropped them on this planet, and put a network of satellites over the planet. Right. To- well, it's not a planet. It's a moon. Well, a moon. And the the planet that the, the moon's going around is totally bare, and there's nobody on it anymore. That's what led me to think maybe the, yeah. they were the only ones left. I just know the only reason that I'm suspecting that is when you meet the guy who is the head of the Null in this. He does have that dumb tattoo, yeah. He has that dumb facial like, forehead tattoo. Yeah, yeah. That is the exact same as the guys from the Rush fan. Oh, very nice pickup. I didn't even notice that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a good theory. I think they just had some leftover temporary tattoos in the makeup department and slapped that shit on. <laughs> that, that absolutely could be the right answer to that. Yeah. Why that is. Well, that's a more interesting version. Yeah. You know, I like things where you have those little subtle things that nobody notices that are there. And I like reading into things like mm-hmm. I still have a theory about how lost all fits together that is not I, actually in the show oh really so you know yeah whatever i've that. never watched all of lost I, I gave up in season two so well most people are angry about it so. <laughs> that's why i don't want to go back and follow it but i also feel like i should i should have an opinion about it right. so well I, wanna... I have a theory about what happens <laughs> and the history of it that still was never disproven because the ending didn't actually tell you anything. <laughs> Is this all a clever ad for mine and your Lost podcast that we're going to see? Yeah, that, yeah that, coming soon. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. you guys, we established that these are two members that they're the same species is what we're getting at. And they're fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think about the, that, uh, the fact that they die and then they come back? Wouldn't that sate your bloodlust a little bit? Like, wouldn't you cool it after a few cycles of this? Uh, 
what about the relentlessness of dying makes you want to fight harder? I that I didn't quite understand. Well, look at it this way: dying hurts. <laughs> right, they hurt you. You want to inflict that pain back on them, and that's you know, violence is a cycle. Okay, so that's where they're going with that. But I think, that yeah, like I think that basically it's reducing it to just more sort of dick measuring. Like he killed me. And so I got to get go get revenge, just like he keyed my car or he slashed my tires or he punched. Right. He punched me at the bar or he got, you know, he got over on me on a fist fight. Right. So yeah, now right. I got to like sulk about it for two days and then I got to find a way to jump him in an alleyway. And I think that it's that sort of mindset that they're just doing that over and over and they've been doing it for possibly centuries. I mean, right, right. And, you know, I could tuck my dick between my legs and say, I'm sorry, let's stop. But then he's going to think I'm such a no. And I can't mm-hmm. die now, so I have nothing to lose. So I might as well go double back on him and like fuck him up. Yeah, that it's you're, you're unstoppable. So there's no sort of yeah. fear. There's no end of the spite. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think after a while, everybody'd get sick of it and just like be exhausted and not do it. Any- like realize, <laughs> I think they'd all become nihilists. That's what I think. Yeah. And they do to an extent, they don't set up when. Kira is like, you people are shitty. You don't put a post a guard. You don't do this, that, that, and the other. And they're like, oh, we used to do that, but you know, what's the point? Right. They're like bad employees that don't like don't take care of. Yeah, we used to clean up around here, but I mean, I think like maybe okay. Let's. I mean, this is after this episode. Like Serbians and Bosnians have been fighting for generations. That might have been what they were going for. Yeah, that was concurrent at this time. It right? was. Sort of, but just starting. I don't. I mean, like there was still a Yugoslavia when this was airing. Wow, that may have been like simmering, but the full genocide hasn't really hadn't really. Mm-hmm. So you, those have gone back centuries, and those have been generational sort of. I mean, like literally, like six hundred years of issues that they still harbor. If you had asked them in ninety six. Ask the Serbians why they were wiping out the Bosnians. They would say, like, because they did some shit back in the 13th century. Right, 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 right. It's like, it goes back, and they don't forget because they're taught not to forget. So all of that, uh, I, I buy it. I buy it as a construct. And obviously, they're using science fiction to tell a, a tale. You know, it's doing that allegory thing. Right, right, right. It's not, it's nothing that, it wasn't too distracting for me. I don't have a real problem with it. I just... It just gave me a little pause and I was just wondering, like, I don't know. I was like, you know what I mean? I had one of those things. I don't know about this moment, but I was so (laughs) into it because everybody was doing a really good job with their performances. Yeah. And also Cisco, it seemed to me like that you're starting to see the Cisco I know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Where he is not rash, but he's very firm in a way that Picard never was. Picard was always coming off as like a teacher, you know, Cisco. Right. He was always more contemplative or something. Yeah. And also like trying and pleading to people mm-hmm. like, don't you see that your people are his, his earnestness. Avery Brooks says he says those lines, but it's said with such like a such a sharp like I, I, I it's something that I like. And I, I don't know what it is, but it, it's such a resolve and a strength, you know, where you see a man who's like, I would like to be able to talk these people into not being idiots. But if they're not, they're not going to kill one of us and we're going to get the hell off the planet yeah you know right. if you if you want to be dumb motherfuckers you be dumb motherfuckers on this moon but you're not dragging me and these three people into it you know right. okay so we should mention that 
in the end, they find out that they can't take any of these people with them because if they leave the planet, the nanotechnology won't work and they'll all die immediately. Yeah, they'll shut up. <laughs> and, and the two warring factions just continue to fight and Cisco leaves them to fight. Oh, yeah. And we actually don't know their fate. And then Bashir being earnest and Bashir's kind of good in this episode. Yeah, I know. This is actually Okay, good. I was going to touch on that. I know I pinpoint why he was good on this. I know exactly because they actually, this is the episode that 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 was written before all the womanizing stuff. Yeah. He's actually written like a wet behind the ears, eager officer. Yeah. Which yeah. is probably the direction they should have gone. Like he kind of wants to tag along. He convinced him it's a slow day, work day for right, them. It's a slow day. Yeah. Even though he had just gotten a shipment. Like the whole point was I was down here. I was down here at the pylon getting my medical shipment. You have a whole inventory to process. You got a truck today, buddy. <laughs> He's got you nurses got to do that. <laughs> right. He's a doctor. <laughs> right. It was so slow. <laughs> I've got true. doctors in my family. They're assholes about that. That's nurse problems. Right. <laughs> Your wife's a nurse. But he went down to the pylon to do it. Like, he still went down to the right. pylon to watch it. Well, that's unload. how slow it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He, he went down to himself. That's how slow it was. <laughs> he was just anxious to see if they got this one thing. They got it. He goes, okay, you know, take it back and right. uh, uh, unbox it. Hey, look, this. your alpaca's here. I want to. Yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> What's what's going on? Can I bump under your ship? Huh? Yeah. Oh, I want to go. Right. And so I think that's what makes him. That's what makes him more interesting or more palatable to watch this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So it, at this end moment that we're talking about, Bashir has this like sort of crisis of conscience where he's like. I can probably reprogram the nanites. Right. To either kill them or to not kill them when they get past the safety net. And then they can just die when they die. Yes. And then we can all take them off. Yeah, yeah. And Or he doesn't I don't think they can even take them off. I don't think that's ever a consideration. Oh, they can just kill them. He would I can program the nanites to where Yeah, because he's like because he says it's against my training. They, when they die, they die and they can actually have an ending. And then you see Jonathan Banks get this realization. He gets his heart on. Just like, oh, like his heart, like he's like, really? You could do that? You could, you could allow us to die? And they're like, yeah. And you like think it's just this like moment where this man is pleading to be out of this situation. And then he's like, we can kill all the Nolans. <laughs> and it's this great, like, and I, they're like, fuck this, we're out. <laughs> and the look on everybody, like, it was so well played. It was so well done that, yeah, that was really even well. at the end, they can't. And Jonathan Banks delivered it so well that it was like the kind of TV moment. Right, right. That's such a memorable thing. And it was so good. And even before we got there, before we got to the end of it, I wanted to mention when O'Brien and Dax go to look for him. Mm-hmm. They have good stuff in this episode, even. Dax finally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pure techno babble. But still. But it's like the best techno babble that we've gotten. It is. Exactly. O'Brien is selling <laughs> it. It's like, oh, there's a hysteresis curve and differential magnometer. Magneton. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Magnometer. But they do well by it yeah and it plays out like a little story and it's all tech it's all bullshit but yeah, it's yeah, like it's just, yeah but i just read it, it as like that's real nice techno babble they had in this episode yeah. <laughs> and i think that was being sold by o'brien and and the the, the power that is colmini i don't know if he feels that way oh it, it, he was doing the most of it because he was the one that he's he's the one that laid it all out yeah the hysteresis curve was his line and he's the one that if she's the spock character yeah she's not in this because he's like i'm gonna build a differential magnometer and she's like what what is that it's like well you could put scotty and spock in that exact same scene have them read those lines 
and it would work. That's probably true. Yeah. Because Scotty would be like, yeah, I haven't built it yet. But if she's the Spock, she's the one that would have invented it. No, no, Scotty's the one that's going to say the cheeky thing about having not having invented it yet. They'll come down on us like a hornet's nest. Right. Spock would have had to ask, you know, the logical question of what is that thing? I've never heard. I don't know. What, the stuff that just came out of your mouth. Uh, oh, fair enough. And he'd be like, I haven't invented it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Yeah, sure. My point was they both do fine work there. They do. This is a Right. Yeah, they do. This is good stuff. Are, are we ready to talk about what's not good about it? Or maybe what's trying about it? I want to hear it. Nana Visitor's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's loaded, and I'm not just going to shit on it. I'm not going to shit on it. <laughs> I might. I think... Now, wait. Can I have the floor just for one minute, okay? Because up until this point in this podcast, I have been on her side, <laughs> right? I've come to her defense. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just bear with me. I've come to her defense. I think that maybe we've given her... I think we've been unfair to her, and I have rooted <laughs> for her. This episode, she burnt up all the goodwill that I had toward her. That death scene with Kyle Packett, it was it was some of the worst <laughs> television acting I have ever seen. Yeah. Ever. It was bad. It was that bad. Is that is, Were you guys going to say anything else? I would, she kind of sucks in that death scene, doesn't she? Yeah. She's just like shaking. If I just shiver the whole time. Right. She's like, oh. And then her earnestness and the war stuff later. Yeah. And the shrillness. And then she's got that scene with Kyle Packett where Kyle Packett is like subtly saying, you're really fucked up. That scene. And she's like, I don't want you to think that, you know, like that whole scene which is actually pretty well written on paper mm-hmm. and Kayapak is doing a job man she's 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 real actor she's doing her job she's at the Wallace Shawn level of you know doing what she came to do right right and the scene is being delivered but Kira right I thought Kira had one or two moments where she was all right <laughs> but most of it wasn't I, I think that too when she was given that disaffected speech about yeah, yeah. Apaka dying and like afterwards when she gave the speech about all that she'd seen and she dies in this little rock that means nothing right, right. and that speech was pretty well, but that was supposed to be like the blunt right. sort of emotionless speech. So she did that okay. <laughs> it's it's frustrating because more than anything on this, Kira is a more interesting character on this episode. Kira on paper mm-hmm. is a le- like it's about her psyche more than Vortex was about Odo's psyche. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's about her essentially post-traumatic stress disorder from the war. Oh, there's a lot going on. Right. Yeah, that she can't move on, that she stays in the war right. and she's not ready for the sort of complicated piece that's coming. Yeah. And Alpaca is giving her direct advice about her emotional state and her psyche and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly about her. Yeah, and she has that breakdown where her alpaca's cr- clutching at her breast, which is a really strong image. And so, like, what I had to do is I was like, okay, I, I've just been basically discounting Kira along with Nana Visitor. And this episode, I can't do it because the episode's so good. And so you're like, well, okay, what's a comparison? So I had in my mind, I had to, like, put a compare, like, to judge whether it was well-written. Maybe she's being abused by the show, you know, we think Dax is to some degree. Uh, maybe she's just being abused by poor writing. And it really isn't. Like, if, you, if your mind, if you see, like, a Carrie Coons or, like, a much better actress doing this performance, someone that could play this role, in your mind, you can see these lines being good. You can see these lines being moving and these scenes being good. And 
it really affecting you, like good television affecting you. So as far as the writers and directors, I think they do their job. Okay, the contrast against it, like right after that scene where she was wailing because Kyle Peck had died, I was like, man, I don't know. That's pretty tough stuff. I don't know how, how somebody could sell this garbage. <laughs> and then Jonathan Banks immediately pops up and, and start. And then you, you, then you're like, oh well, I guess that's how you sell it. He looks like he's living and breathing it. And you just kind of wish for a minute that he was on the show, like every, like he was playing Major Kira. Yeah, no, no. Jonathan Banks is so good. Yeah, but you know. But I think that's what we're saying is that like you're wondering who could pull this garbage off and then the other cast swoops in and does it. But do you think it's garbage? I mean, do you think it's garbage? Well, do you think that I think that it is a little it's it's still it's not the best at times. Um, I think on paper, this may have been one of the I mean, this this show's got limitations. The show's got obligations. All these things that we say. That's that's what I mean. I'm Mm -hmm. not talking about specific. I think the obligations. Um, the techno back, you know, a lot of, that's what I mean. I'm using garbage loosely. I don't yeah. mean, I'm not trying to be hard on no, it. No, I'm just trying to get to I'm the, just saying it's not Shakespeare. Do you think it's junk on the page? Um, no, no. Okay. Okay. I mean, garbage in the, in the fact that it's a syndicated sci-fi show in the mid nineties. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. You know, how are you going to, in the same way. And that I agree with you. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you do, and it takes a Jonathan Banks. It takes like these kind of real yeah. actors right. to pull this kind of stuff off. But you know, Jonathan Banks, it, He's just being Jonathan Banks, but he's well. Like, this goes to my whole theory of actors in in general. I don't need a Dustin Hoffman being method and, and everything. I need Jonathan Banks being Jonathan Banks as real and, and truthfully yeah. as he can be. Right. And Wallace Shawn to be well, right? He's doing the same Jonathan Banks he does in everything. But he's just so good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just cast people in their lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. if you if you have an actor who does this well, do this. You know, and I think that yeah, I think you're right. And I think the show was trying to put like like say early on in the first few episodes with those off notes with Cisco was trying to put Cisco in a different box. And now it seems like Cisco is going to be no, I'm going to be the type of guy I play. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm going to be the guy. Right. I'm going to be the bad motherfucker, and that's what I do. And I'm really good at it. And I and I can play an eloquent, powerful, unstoppable force. And I'll be that. And O'Brien knows his role. But it seems like sometimes you need to have talent, especially when you have to cry, especially when you have to break down. And those are you see people do good jobs at this. Yeah. And they, they, you know, they're not she's maybe it was unfair to ask her to do to go to these links. That's what you should make up some sort of Bajorn uh, morning ritual that includes a lot of silence and stoic <laughs> glances. Yeah. Yeah. If you have this, you, you know what I'm saying? There's like ways around this that can make sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Does it make sense if you sell it as, if we explained it as her just stage emoting versus camera emoting? That doesn't even work even. I don't know. Right. I don't know. It is, it is pretty broad. I'm just, I'm just looking for excuses. She's just you not You see non-a-visitor make decisions. And that's the key to bad acting. Yeah, you see her make. Yeah, yeah. And you see her make decisions to cry. You don't see emotion overwhelm the character of Kira. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, like I'm sure that if Paul Thomas Anderson was directing this episode, he would have finally get that emotion out of her. Right, right. You know, but that that this is TV. Right, right. You know, you're not going to do Kubrick takes or Fincher yeah. takes on yeah. this. this, this so, yeah. It's fucking Star Trek. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is Star Trek. This is a let's, let's get let's get it on. You know, so it didn't affect my enjoyment of the episode, but it is the glaring weakness of the episode. Right. Yeah, they probably should have wrote around it. They should have done her favors. 
they they did her no favors in this episode. Yeah. And it's hard to watch in those three scenes. It's pretty hard. Yeah. But back to what we did like about the episode. Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. It was really showing off Cisco's pragmatism, mm-hmm. you know, in the end. Yeah. Do you have the feeling that maybe Kirk would have given a rousing speech to those people before, and then like, you know, made them lay down their weapons and you know what I'm saying? I think both Kirk and Picard would have tried to move these men. And Picard. And I think obviously Kyle Packa is going to try and move these men. Right. To, or, and women to change their ways, but do it off screen after they leave. Right. That's her whole thing. Like, yeah. 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 She's not doing it in this episode. She's staying to do it. Yeah. Right. And, and she couldn't leave to begin with. But before she knew that, she right. was like, yeah, no, yeah. Is- before they even tell her, if you leave, you die. She's like, sorry, yeah. I'm not leaving. Yeah. And I was like, OK, well, that solves our problem a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God, because you can't. Good thing. because yeah. But the Bajoran planet is going to be pissed because they're already angry that she's even left. Yeah. Yeah. That's just something that comes up back when they're on the station. They're like, oh, my God, they took our space poop and they left. What did they do with her? Right. Yeah. Odo's like, they won't shut up about this. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is she? Get her back. I'm sick of dealing with these weird boat guard people. Um, I think that Cisco not, you know, he told them the facts. Look, this is this is irrational. And they were like, fuck you. We're not going to change our ways. And he's like, all right. OK, idiots are going to, you know, idiots going to be idiots. Can't stop an idiot. You know, and I think that that's what I like about Cisco. It's not about idealism to him. No, it's about you can't stop an idiot from himself. You know, do you think that he was an idealist? Because, you know, a lot of the Starfleet type and explore types they are you have to be sort of sort of an idealist to sign up for some of that stuff do you think that him losing his wife and watching the person responsible just fly off in the flagship of the federation kind of takes that out of you a little bit uh-huh. do you think that's some of the motivation yeah and if so why don't we ever get that as like a reminder that of his motivation like that that would be interesting why don't he talk about his wife more well i mean just like or how he was in the before times yeah yeah no i think you're, uh, that's interesting yeah no i agree yeah that they could do that i wish they had even any cognizance of that <laughs> But I don't feel like they even knew that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't even think they have that? No. You don't think in this in in the showrunner's Bible of the story of the show rather that 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 is like you know there was a before Cisco lost his wife and an after. No, I feel like they had that when Michael Pillar and Berman were writing the pilot, and then that didn't make it into the Bible, and then all the show writers and showrunners after that. Didn't really think about it too much. All of them. Yeah, it's it's we talk about the writer's room and how they're kind of crappy, but there's also they're legion. Like each one of these. I don't think we've had an episode. uh, You know, we're 12 episodes in and no one's wrote two episodes yet. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. You know, so like that everybody's working alone in a room somewhere like there's no one that's arching the story. And I think that probably if you start like at this point, it seems like and maybe I'm wrong. But but so they I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious. Do they not have a writer's room where they're breaking scripts and then sending it off to somebody? They, or they just have people providing outlines and then they go off? They were, and it was I, – I think they were sending it off isolatedly. Because usually breaking scripts is like what the room does. Yeah, and then – And then they, they give it to one person. But I don't know if they're doing that now. I don't know if, how 
things have changed in the in writers' room since. Yeah, in golden age television, you're going to have like Matt Weiner is going to like put thirteen things on a yarn board, right? Because usually breaking the script is the hardest part, and then they just give it to somebody. Yeah, but usually a lot of time it's the whole room breaking it. Breaking it did the whole pl- sort of the overarching plot of the story, and then how each story, and then they hand it to a dude, right? And then they or a girl or whatever you know someone, and then they write this, and then they write the script, and then bring it back to the room, and then the room polishes it and i know a lot of shows work that way i know the simpsons worked that way i think didn't it probably but by this time on deep or on star uh the next generation it seemed like every other week it was ronald e moore and then brandon braga and then probably you know michael pillar and then so and it just goes back Mm -hmm. and so you have these brian braga episodes and then like if ronald e moore is not interested in talking about data's search for you know movement towards this and he'll just wedge that into his episodes so every four episodes, you have like these sort of callbacks and, and and changing characters or these these motifs that sort of push the character along. And right now, it seems like no one's wrote two episodes. So you have like 12 writers. Right, right. And so no one's no one's making their stamp on these repeated themes and, and sort of driving the engine that way. And it, it's a flaw. It's a flaw. Right. Because it, it's a mess. We're just now starting to get things set out to what we're aiming towards yeah it wouldn't be a mess if it wasn't the kind of show that had an overarching storyline right if it was wagon train in space but it's not wagon train in space it's this is this is like the soap opera it's the big story Mm -hmm. and so you need someone that's bending the narrative no one is and so this is the first time where it felt like we were revisiting things from the pilot and it's episode 12 yeah 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 i mean that that is it's frustrating but I, i mean i know they I, I know enough to know they fixed it. So right, right. That's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on to what would you guys change about this episode? We all seem to like it. Would you fix anything? Oh man, non-Kira related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But aside from the performances, like like uh-huh. script wise, I guess. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and say not Kira related. Um. Well. I got something. You guys, you go first. You want me to go, or who's going? Sure. Yeah, go for it. All right. This is what I would have done script wise. I would have had them land on the planet, meet Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks helps them out, and then says, "By virtue of us helping you out, you're on our side. You have no choice." And then finding out that they have to, like, in order to survive, they actually do have to disable the nanites on the other side. And then they kill them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Go on. <clears throat> Bear with me. So, like right away, the right away the other side is wiped out, and so there's just Jonathan Banks's team, and then and then they they plot to get off the planet, but from Jonathan Banks's team, a faction breaks off, and it turns full circle to where they become the warring side, and have him leave knowing that they haven't affected change. They've just brought things full circle. So you would have them immediately break the prime directive and then learn a lesson. They do anyway. He even says that. They don't, though. They, they, yeah, they do. No, they, no, no. Julian says, isn't helping these people breaking the prime directive? When do, when do they break the prime directive here? He goes, I think that... Because they're going to take... They're going to. They're going to take them off the ship. No, he, and then he, Bashir says... So. Oh, but they... they Well, yeah. And Bashir says, is that? And then and then Cisco's like, actually, no. These are... This is a distinct people. 
we're doing what they want. We're not breaking the prime directive because we're just right. Possibly. But I, I, I also got a hint of that when Cisco said that is that he was just thinking of a defense on the fly. Oh yeah. That he was just kind of, that he was kind of like, no, no, we're, we're going to do this. I mean, we can say this or this. He's like, these people have been here long enough. They're a sovereign people. We can do what they want yeah. without breaking. Uh, anything. I, I'm pretty sure I can convince them. Like, you know, right. Yeah. Hey. My whole thing is, is that if it's a do or die situation, like you need it, we need to wipe these people out. It's like us or them. You're in it now. I don't think that Cisco is saying, well, I guess if I have a choice between dying and or wiping these people out, that's a choice I'd like. to. Well, then the whole thing would be a conflict. Do we break the prime directive or do we sacrifice ourselves? That's the dichotomy you're setting up with that. Yeah, I don't think I don't. Every time the prime directive has ever come up in Star Trek, they end up breaking yeah, it. Fair enough. <laughs> it's just a big pain in the ass. I, I always I do have to say that whenever whenever Cisco talks about the prime directive, I feel like that we all have a churchy background. I feel like he's that guy in your church that when he talks about God, he clearly doesn't believe in God. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm the one between the two of you that still believes in God to an extent where I'm more supportive of the Roddenberry's vision. Even yeah. if it's the, not the vision that was in the original Trek and it was manufactured after the fact, I think that the vision is what makes the show great and trying to keep with it. You, you still believe in the Prime Directive and Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. And I'm just saying that if you were to get Cisco drunk, Cisco wouldn't believe in you. <laughs> wouldn't believe in the Prime Directive. So. And I think he clearly acts and responds in a way that is uh, not saying that he doesn't care about the Prime Directive, but I'm saying that it's not. See. I think he does believe in it. You do? I do. Yeah. He. But what's great about Cisco is he's willing to bend things a little bit. He still definitely believes and he's altruistic enough. He believes in the in the core vision. Mm-hmm. But he's he's, a you know, he's practical enough and he's smart enough to know when to supersede that. He's he doesn't let his he doesn't let his humanity be bent by the. Prime Directive. Most of the time when they break the Prime Directive, it's their humanity that forces them to. But he bends it. Well, I don't know. Right. Okay, so there's an episode of The Next Generation where the crystalline entity was had destroyed planets all over the place. And a woman has figured out a way to kill the crystalline entity. Right. And so, and it is a really good episode. So she's figured out a way to kill the crystalline entity because her son was killed on the planet with Data. Right. And when Picard finds out about this, he fights the idea of it, Mm -hmm. that this idea that it's a sentient being that deserves to be left alone and deserves to be sort of unfucked with by the Federation and all of those things. And he's stalwart in that position. And and it's admirable in the episode. You're supposed to, like, agree with Picard in this episode. Mm -hmm. They ultimately kill the crystalline entity because she goes rogue and fires the shot without anybody's approval. And and it's sad, but the crystalline entity is put out. Um, but I just don't think that Cisco would have made that call. No, I don't think he would have either. I think he would have said, let's kill it. Right. Because it's a danger to my crew. Yeah. And to right. the, all the people here. If it's us for them, we're not going to. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't think he would argue. I don't think he would argue the philosophical case for that. No, he would. That's yeah. Yeah. And, and so maybe that I mean that that I, and I like that more. But it's because I'm, you know, a godless man without faith. <laughs> no, but no, but that I, I, I respect these sort of practical, tough calls. And I, I, you know, and I think that that's something to admire. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we. 
So I have to real quick before we go into what somebody else to change. I have to be clear that Wade actually hates my storyline, though, right? <laughs> no, it would it would just change the. It would just it would just be a, well, it would be a different episode. But that's kind of what we're asking about. How it would do, do you make it different? Right, right, okay. Just just want to make I don't sure. Hate it. I think I, I think uh, I think putting someone in direct conflict with the. Prime Directive could make a very good episode. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Right. It would just be that would be the core conflict of the episode. As I would be worried that it makes Cisco look stupid. Why? Because he helped him out without really understanding what he was doing, like the situation, the gravity of the situation. He kind of had he cut that that he kind of did the same thing here though. He was going to help him out and then realized that there's just no helping him. But his offer was to help them all out. I'll get all of you right. off of. Oh, instead of just killing the other side. Yeah. Well, my thing is that it doesn't make him look stupid because he had no choice. It's like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they're thrown in that in the original series where they have to like you. You have to either kill your crew member or Kirk ha- has to fight Spock to the death. You know, those choices are faced with. Mm-hmm. We have to obey. We're on a foreign planet. We have to obey the rules. Yeah. Okay. But I guess maybe now that we're talking it out, mine doesn't hold up so well. <laughs> and I, I'm starting to think it's kind of shitty too. So we'll move That's, on. And to, this is why you have a writer's room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick Pizzolatto. Yeah, I think this, that's exactly right. <laughs> Are you listening, this, Nick this, Pizzolatto? Oh, I'm sure he is. Or Overstock.com, the three of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, see, we, we, exactly. Uh, the thing I would change. Uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I I don't I don't I don't know. Like for once, I think an episode was well paced. Yes. Like I think you get you get to your point points really quick. Boom, boom, boom. Um, I I don't know. This is nitpicky, but I thought the whole Bashir Bashir figuring everything out like in asides off screen was weird. I, yeah, that was. You know, if I just got to get back to the shuttle, and then like you don't see him do anything, and like, and then he comes back and he goes, "I figured out a little bit," and then I swear they have a conversation, and by the end of the conversation, Bashir has more information about the nanites. Where he's like, "I just realized," like I don't know, he's like, "I just got a text. We can't go. The, we can't like, take him off right. the planet." Well, they show <laughs> they show him crawling into the computer and and working on the computer and figuring things out, and you know what, like. Watching somebody hack is boring yeah. for real is actually pretty boring. <laughs> I think Mr. That, Robot right. made it work, but it they did. had to build the whole show around. <laughs> right, it, right, so. right. But you know, <laughs> boop, 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 boop. it's like okay, it's like. But yeah. they, I think that's even like one of Dan Harmon's crit- critiques of Mr. Robot. Ooh, look, look at me hack. That's actually kind of boring. <laughs> but not that I agree with everything Dan Harmon says. But, yeah, I've been reading up on Dan Harmon's eight structures of a story. Yeah, he's all Campbell and circle yeah. shit. And I, yeah, I read the circle thing, and I was I was using it for something, and I was kind of like, uh, <laughs> right. some of this seems arbitrary. Some of these differentiations between the points seem arbitrary. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Dan Harmon. I love I you know, but a lot of it seems like uh, uh. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my feeling on the eight point story structure is uh. <laughs> okay. So I don't know. That was my nitpicky little thing. I, Hugh had this huge storyline, and I just don't. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I I don't really either. I just my whole thing was like at the end of it, Kai Alpaca. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep calling her Alpaca. I don't care. Mm-hmm. She's like, our paw will cross again. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I don't remember if it actually does. <laughs> it does. She's in two more episodes. Okay, good. Okay. Cause Possibly as disembodied voices. But this starts the big – I mean, this episode is the, the episode that basically starts all the Bajoran bullshit for the next two right. seasons. That's right. <laughs> and and this is what I like about it is that you have to wade through – like that's something that the show needs to deal mm-hmm. with. And it's interesting that it checked off some Star Trek obligations while doing that at the same time. That's what yeah. I found impressive, too, because like I said, this is quintessential Trek, but this is also finally bringing us back to the Bajoran stuff that we had in the first episode. Yeah, because, I mean, the next season is like almost completely consumed with the election of the next Kai. Right. So you just think that this the whole show could have been this yeah. quintessential Trek and dealing with the other stuff. Right. That's what you, what you yeah. want. Yeah. yeah. And, that's like, and when it's working later on, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. That was what I, I mean, wanted. That yeah. I, I, It wasn't even what I would change about this episode as much as like I wanted to get a clarification. Do they actually pull this stuff back or do they just kind of half assed name check it? And then do other stuff because I felt like I want stuff to call. I want callbacks. That's what I want. Um, I think we'll find out if you were to watch. <laughs> if you were to watch, I mean, it's been so many weeks since we watched the pilot. But let's okay, okay. I want to. You know what? You know what I would do to make this episode better? I would instead of making it episode tw- episode twelve battle lines, I would make it episode two battle lines. I would make it three or four. Yeah. Right. This one needs to be the second one. Yeah, yeah. But if this was the next episode, I mean, obviously you got to build some stuff about just building the status quo with the ship. So okay, maybe episode three or four. But if you were to watch the pilot and you were to watch this, I think. There wouldn't have been a need for the emissary stuff to come back up because I think they play it knowingly. Right. It's just not expressed verbally. Fair. I think that his uh, – I hate to use this word because I don't want to – I don't mean it the way it normally is. But his attraction to her is shown in those first scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sexual attraction, but you know what I mean. Like, even like, affinity. Even. <laughs> yeah, his affinity for her is shown in those first scenes. Right. He's a man of the Bajoran people, and he's slowly realizing that. Yeah, and so I think that, you know, it reminds you without having to call it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, banging on your head about it. Yeah, yeah and so I like that. I think our problem is is that there was 10 episodes, 12, love, whatever, 10 episodes, 11 episodes between that and this. Oh, I know what I would say. Well, my my question for this thing is like, what do the prophets actually give a shit about anything? Uh, (laughs) They're just wormhole aliens. They don't like, oh, this is what the prophets want. And then Kira is like, oh, my God, I'm I'm worried about what the prophets will think of me. Yeah. And what you get from that first emissary episode is the the prophets don't even think about anybody else. (laughs) They're like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. They don't give a shit about Bajor. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that 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 that's one of the things I like about the whole show and the questions between of like what's perceived as a religious viewpoint and what is actual reality. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I do actually like that too. Yeah, yeah. It gets it gets into that. So yeah, you hit upon something that I think we'll be dealing with a lot later on. And by and large, Star Wars both series, the TOS and TNG are pretty godless. Yeah, well, exactly. You said Star Wars again. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. You left it in the last time. You're supposed to change this. Star Trek, TOS, and TNG are both relatively godless. Yeah, oh, they're they're totally godless. And so this episode, or this season, this show, has religious people who aren't crazy. 
who actually have some sort of foundation of belief. Like they, you know, there are aliens and they did give them these pimp cups, chal- chalices. <laughs> right. These orbs. Oh my gosh. I hope little John shows up in the wormhole at one point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Like they have these pimp cups. There's some foundation of belief there. The, their religion has gotten them through decades of oppression and wars. So there's uh, or eons. Yeah. Or yeah. However long. Centuries, we'll say. Yeah. 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 No. And it, it's intractable and it's real and you have to deal with it. Right, right. Because in, in like, what, three episodes from now, we have the episode where it's about the school and Nurse Ratchet comes in and she's like Sarah Palin and shit. <laughs> and like, or I guess Phyllis Schlafly probably. And like, so like you have to deal with that side of religion. Plus there's this other side, you know, so there's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like the all of the textures and nature of it is real. And so it's nice to see these things because we've never seen them in a Star Trek. I agree. I agree. Right. And so it's nice to get back there. Yeah, yeah. You know, that she's religious and she goes and answers the call of the prophets. Is that what she said? Basically. Is that what Kira is supposed to go back and tell those yeah, people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I do too. All right. All right, guys. All right. What do you think? We like this. Ep- do we all agree that this is probably the best episode since the the first one? Most definitely, it's, it's probably the best. I still don't know if it's my favorite, honestly. But I, st- I, w- uh, I would argue it's the best. Oh, I don't know if it's my favorite either. I definitely think it's the best one. I definitely think looking on paper uh, of these twelve, yeah, or of these eleven, not counting the pilot, yeah. What is your favorite? I don't know. When I think back now, I even like that Q episode, which. Is feels weird to me you did didn't you? i did uh i know i'm i'm embarrassed to say it what's your favorite here <laughs> i don't know i don't know i this maybe no nah, i don't think this is it i don't know quite yet. i like this and i liked the nagus episode a lot oh yeah that was oh i like the garrick stuff i think the garrick stuff is my favorite yeah uh, that but that was a better part of i it. think the tinker taylor spy stuff with garrick garrick is that was a long time ago. That's like episode three. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, it was. But it was good. You're right. Okay. But I still say this is probably the best. I just don't know if it's my favorite. All right. So. I think it's my favorite. I'm going to say it's my favorite. Yeah, I got that. I liked it and I appreciated it. You know, like where the Vortex, I appreciated the episode. Like there was not a lot bad yeah. with it that was really, really good. It was well constructed. It was written by an Academy Award Academy nominee. Yeah, I got angry at the nitpicky stuff like the twin shit. And then the, yeah, but it's not my favorite. But this was and, and the vortex now not being correct definition. Yeah, this has got Jonathan Banks. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to argue with Jonathan Banks. Yeah. OK. All right. All right. So we all done. I think that's all we got. Right. All right. That's right. Say it, Hugh. Three to beam out. <laughs> All right. Please follow us on Twitter and send us an email at rules of acquisition podcast at gmail.com. All right. That was the episode. Um, that episode was sort of a person personally kind of rough for me. <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time, but listening back to it, uh, I couldn't really get my hands around the idea I wanted to bring forth uh, to what I could change. I decided. It was kind of, uh, kind of a not that great of an idea, and it was sort of early in our production of the rules of acquisition where it really didn't dawn on me to to stress the point of what you could change about the TV show could could be everything about it if you if you felt felt like it. Um, so I just kind of crumbled at the end and uh, under the weight of the scrutiny of the the other two. It sounded like. Uh, which I don't think, I don't feel like that happened too much. Uh, 
I don't know. That's one of the interesting things about going back and and looking at these older episodes. Uh, I went down a big uh, opaca hole <laughs> uh, researching this episode. Uh, I did not know, and I don't know if it came up in maybe another episode, but Memory Alpha has a list of actresses that they were considering for the role of Kyle Opaka. And one of them was uh, Shelley Duvall <laughs> of The Shining fame and Popeye fame. Another one was Kathy Bates, who said at the time she did not want to do television at that point in her career. So that was sort of interesting. Uh, another interesting thing about Kyle Paca is there is a mirror universe counterpart, just like everything in Star Trek. There's there's a mirror universe counterpart uh, in the DS9 novel, The Soul Key and Star Trek mirror universe novel, Rise Like Lions. The novel stated that she was elected as Kai in 2377 after the mirror Bajorans converted en masse to the long-abandoned faith of their ancestors. Shortly after the discovery of the Bajoran wormhole by the mirror universe counterpart of Ileana Gamor, who was hailed as the emissary of prophets. I don't know what any, any of that means, but it sure sounds interesting. Um, also, in Star Trek Online, a star sh Starfleet ship was named for Opaka. When the two uh, 2800 Dominion ships that were lost in the Bajoran wormhole after the Battle of Bajor reappeared and attacked Deep Space Nine, the USSS Opaka, probably too many S's in that, was at the station and aided in the station's evacuation. Opaka herself appears in the Victory is Life expansion with now Kai Kira, Dr. Julian Bashir, and the player character traveling to the moon in the Gamma Quadrant uh, and finding that Opaka was able to bring peace to the warring factions, but now had to contend with the Hercor. Dr. Bashir administers a cure provided by Odo and the Dominion that allows Opaka and the others to leave the moon. Opaka is reinstated as Kai upon the return of DS9. So... Some weird Star Trek online game brings this obscure story from season one of Deep Space Nine full circle. And in the process, uh, it looks like uh, Kai Kira gets the boot. And it doesn't say, this entry doesn't say what happens to her, but I imagine she's, I don't I can't imagine where, where the online game has Kira after she gets busted uh, down rank in her religion. Man, that's weird. Um, what else? Jonathan Banks was a big part of this episode and a big part of our podcast. This was, you know, a few years, three what, three years after Breaking Bad had wrapped up. And even in early 2016, I think Breaking Bad still loomed large over the television and cultural landscape. And then, really... Nothing, I, I guess, nothing, nobody really mentioned Breaking Bad much. I think Better Call Saul came out, and some people liked it. It's good. Um, Bob Odenkirk got nominated a couple times for Best Actor, but I never really see much of it discussed in the zeitgeist until El Camino came out this last fall, and then I feel like everybody was was pretty happy with that. 
but you could tell at the time that we were we were happy to see uh, a capable guest actor show up, uh, somebody who's extremely watchable as Jonathan Banks. It was it was a nice break from the Alien of the Week garbage we were putting up with at that point in season one. Season one is rough, so this was quite the bright spot for us. Even though I, you know, the fans don't care for for this. Uh, particular episode historically or at least the ones on IMDb it's interesting to me at this point in the season we bring up IMDb and what folks like but it didn't dawn on us to come up with the the guessing game I don't, I don't remember at what point does that come maybe season 2 of the rules of acquisition maybe season 3 after maybe after we jettison what would you change Anyway, this one was a 6.7 for those of you at home uh, wanting to guess what the people of IMDb thought of this. Um, all right. Well, I don't think I did a voice on this episode, which is an improvement. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you come back next week and listen to another episode of the Rules of Acquisition Remix. If you are not a patron but are... Patron curious, Patreon curious. I don't know if that's a thing. You should check us out at kickersofelves.com backslash. No, that is wrong. I about give you complete horseshit information. Uh, our Patreon is at www.patreon.com backslash kickersofelves. See, that's why I don't do it every week because I'll just mess it up. Anyway, uh, thanks again for listening. One to be mount. You can turn this off now. We believe in you. <laughs>